What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Media Student Podcast. I am your host, Rob Rose. Uh, thank you guys for listening, as always. And uh, today's episode, super excited about. Um, really honored to have Bleacher Report's Miriam Fader on. Uh, if you'd like feature writing, want to get into feature writing or profiles, um, this is the podcast for you. Mirren is super talented and also super humble. And we talked for an hour about her start and um, all the different things she learned along the way. Um, dealing with, I shouldn't say dealing with, but appreciating the success and the praise that she gets now even more because of the struggles and um knows and different things that people said to her along the way doubting her ability and um you know the the climb that she had to um endure to get to the place where she is now uh as a tremendous writer for a big time organization bleacher report getting to write about the top athletes in the world and write Really, really, really well done stories about them. Um, we also talk about contest for high school and college aspiring journalists, um, which is, should be all of you listening to this. The big scribble that Mirren is a judge for, or what that's about and what you can win in it. And she gives you uh, some great advice throughout the podcast, but at the end, some different things um, to help some little tidbits, things that she wished she knew when she started her career and just some great advice throughout the entire episode. So let's get right into it. Bleacher Reports writer, Miriam Fader. Okay, Miriam, thank you for joining us on uh, this episode of Sports Media Student Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So um, we always get these things started with the beginning of people's careers. Um, reading listening to different things you've done started off with a college basketball career um when you transferred to uh, the school you ended up graduating from did you go there specifically with journalism in mind or what was it about that school that made you want to go there yeah i mean i knew i wanted to be in a small school environment um but i didn't really know that i wanted to be a journalist i, I was transitioning from being a basketball player to being a who knows what, like I kept, I kept calling it like, oh, I get to be a normal person now, <laughs> you know, like how do, how do normal people work out? Do they go to the, what do they do at the gym? You know, because everything from when I was 10 years old was just like training so hard. So I just thought like, well, I love reading. I love writing. I'm going to major in English and we'll see what I do. You know, I knew I had to find something though, you know, Occidental College is a really good school and I just, I didn't want to be left behind. So I had to figure out really what it was that I wanted I just knew that I missed basketball like I wanted to be in it somehow um so picking English you just picked that because you liked you know the subjects that are in English reading and writing it wasn't you didn't have any kind of idea exactly if you wanted to be like a teacher or anything like you just kind of figured you liked that and went into it 
Well, I, at my first school, Lewis and Clark College, I took a class called Women Writers. And the first day I was just absolutely hooked. It was an English class and I wasn't sure if I was going to major in English. I was thinking like history because I love history or like anthropology or something. And I was taking a lot of humanities classes. And when I took this Women Writers class, um, the teacher started the class by saying um, women aren't supposed to hold the pen. Um, and this is a class full of women. So, you know, and we were all, you know, loving that kind of energy and so for me who has always played basketball with the guys like I was literally that girl that was the only one this seemed just like that it was like a challenge like oh like women aren't supposed to be writers and I think I was just sort of drawn to that so I was like okay I love English like maybe I should major in that so I think when my basketball career ended I was still so inspired by that class and the major and I was just like well what if I become a sports writer you know I could stick in I could stay with basketball and I could you know figure out how to write something so um basketball you're the goal is sports writer how do you end up um, writing obituaries for your local paper (laughs) it's just because I had this grand epiphany that I wanted to be a writer doesn't mean that anyone wanted to hire me (laughs) because I had no skill no experience and definitely no age on my side. I was a very young person. I guess I was 19 then. And so I just would reach out to people and just, are there any opportunities here? Are there any opportunities there? So um, that's how that started. And to be honest, like, you know, and the reason why I love what you're doing with your podcast is because it's all about the beginnings. And usually the beginning is not necessarily where someone ends up. And so at the time I was like, oh, this is so lame. Like, why am I doing this? But, you know, really like that was such a crucial time period of growth. And like, you have to be thrown into those situations where, you know, you are getting coffee. Like I would get coffee. Um, you know, I really was starting somewhere that I didn't want to be, but I was just happy that I like had some direction. Yeah, I know that the first, because um, I originally went to Penn State for business and then transferred to uh, Ryder University in New Jersey, where I went. And the first journalism class I took was intro to news writing. And we had to learn how to do like all forms of writing. We had sports stuff, which I was finally excited about for the two weeks that we covered it. But we did obituaries and we did news writing and we did all the different things because she's like, you never know. Right. What job's going to open up? And now I sent a message to my professor when sports canceled. I said, hey, good thing we did all that news stuff because I'm getting loaned out to the news department. But I do think it's good for kids to think like, OK, you want to get into writing and you want to think sports. And there are different ways to go about it. I had your colleague, uh, Bleach Report, David Gardner on, and he, you know, he was very uh, impatient and found, he said, imp- he found different like places to let him cover what he wanted to, college football, college basketball. But there's another route where you went, which was just get involved with the paper and kind of figure it out that way. What do you, um, what do you think that like beginning writing obituaries, did that make you really realize you actually wanted to do this because it was so far from what you actually kind of had the goal in your mind? I think so. I, I mean, I think, what I felt was determined. And I think that, you know, at that point in your life, you are trying to figure yourself out. You're watching what everyone else around you is doing. And there's just this rush. And it's like, 
you know, everyone's competing to get the internships and everyone's trying to figure out their lives. And, you know, when you're a person that does not get the internship, so I got literally rejected from every internship until my junior year, you're kind of feeling on the outside looking in. And so it, it creates a hunger in you. It's like, okay, well, this has nothing to do with sports. Oh, I, you know, look at all the USC kids, like they're getting all the internships at ESPN and the Lakers and you're not. And it, I don't know, for me, that doesn't discourage me. I, I think that really motivated me. And so I just kind of got more into it. But the truth is, is like, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I want to be a great writer. I want to be a great basketball writer. Like that came later. I think for me, I wanted to heal from basketball. Like I went through so much um, transitioning out of it. It was like a identity crisis. You know, I was really depressed. And so what I was looking for was to immerse myself in other people's stories so I could forget my own. And so there was a real personal element to this. So Honestly, when I look back on that time, I think, you know, better to pursue something that you love and are passionate about and that like nourishes you in some way in the way that writing did for me rather than like trying to get the internship or get here or get there. Like it's more about like, are you doing something that is um, like spiritually good for you, emotionally good for you? Like, what does this do for you beyond I want to be successful? Yeah, um, that actually touched on something I wanted to talk about a little further, but it makes sense to go into it now. Um, you really obviously passionate feature writing profiles and looking at people that usually are overcoming stuff, you know, Markel Fultz or Brandon Ingram, different things that those guys have gone through. Do you think that you find that stuff interesting and want to um, spend your time on that kind of stuff because you had to figure out your own kind of adversity and, and way to kind of re reinvent yourself. And do you think that is why you're interested in those kind of stories? I think it, that's a good point. I think it might have something to do with it, but I also think it's because when you're an athlete, you spend so much time in your sport and you're obsessed with every detail and then you stop playing and you realize all these things that mattered so much to you don't matter anymore. And so I realized as a writer, like, the games just didn't really matter to me. They mattered, but they didn't matter. You know what I mean? And so it it made me feel like, well, what does matter? And it's like, I sort of realized that like, it was so much less about the physical and more about the mental. Like that's what's interesting to me. It's not the competition between a player and their opponent. It's the competition between a player and himself, uh, the player and the person. It's, it's mentally like, you know, I want to be a great writer and to be a great features writer, you got to write about interesting, compelling people. And there's nothing more interesting to me than sports. It's the perfect backdrop to explore interior life. And so, you know, maybe the stuff I went through informed me. I mean, I'm, I know it has for sure. I, I definitely find myself interested in people that have had windy journeys, but I think it's more about, I'm just interested in so much more than the actual stats or, or the game. Yeah, no, I think when I first, I've always been, just love sports, but I think in the last couple of years when I've gotten into writing, I think I fell out of really like having goals of, I want to cover the Super Bowl and cover the World Series and that kind of stuff. And I would trade that for an interesting story about a volleyball team in you know the middle of nowhere um, to just be able to kind of dive into that. And um, that stuff is just more interesting to me. And I think I think there's a little bit of, I don't know, I guess for some, it does, it's just personal opinion or, or whatever, however your life, some people just love to, are great at X's and O's and that kind of stuff. But I think um, why I wanted to talk to you about it, because 
I don't I don't really have a, a much of a care for for that kind of stuff, but and that's why I think it's cool. Um, you talked about like kids at USC doing different stuff, struggling getting internships. Um, both of us smaller colleges. Um, there, are, I think there are good benefits to that. Obviously, you get um, your resume uh, shines a little brighter when you have Syracuse or you know Northwestern or stuff like that on there. Um, what do you think are the the benefits or you know, detriments for people that are at smaller colleges or are looking at college and maybe they can't get into that illustrious journalism school because I know that mine, the smallness of it allowed me to do radio, do TV, do print journalism and kind of get a feel for everything. What do you think about uh, how that process helped you? Yeah, you know, it helped tremendously. Like I loved Occidental College. I I cannot recommend the small school experience enough. Um, I think there's this conception that you have to go to a great journalism school or you have to go to the big school, the BCS school. And it's it's so untrue. Those are awesome schools. And I'm sure they have great preparation. I know they do. I speak to a lot of professors from them. But really, it comes down to like, are you in an environment where you get to have hands on um, learning experience. And when you go to a small school, you have 15 people in your class. So, you know, you're, you're really like learning from a professor directly. And I, I still speak to my mentor this day from college who inspired me. And so, you know, when you go to a small school, you get attention on your writing. Like I learned how to be a writer. I learned how to close read. And, you know, these are just things that you don't get to have when you have classes that are like, you know, 300 kids in there. Speaking of sports, you know, there was no other sports writer at my college. There was no competition. You, you know, they were like, literally do whatever you want. And, and that was great because that allowed me to fail. Like you need to be put in situations where you can fail so you can learn. And so, you know, I would do football or volleyball or really whatever track, whatever sport. And so I think when you go to a small school, you have this advantage of space, time and space. Like there's nobody that you have to box out. You just have to get your reps and getting your it's all about confidence and it's all about reps and going to a small school helps. There's detriments for sure. It's like, you know, when you go to a USC practice, there's the beat writers that you can network with or, you know, it's just it's there's people want to read stuff about USC athletes, not Occidental athletes. Um, and it is harder to get the internships, but I do think it can also work in your favor. When I finally did get one of the internships, it was for ABC Sports. And I remember um, it was a TV thing because I wasn't sure at that point if I was going to do like writing or TV. And um, the editor was like, Occidental College, hmm, that's different. Never seen one apply before. And it, it set me apart, like in a good way. And so I, I always remember that. And, it, you know, I really tell students all the time, go to somewhere where you would enjoy if you wanted nothing to do with sports writing. Say you woke up the next day, hated it, didn't want it. Make sure you like the school. Yeah, I know that um, when I talk to kids for, cause I cover high school sports right now, primarily do a lot of stories about commitments and, and different stuff like that. And I know that's what the advice for kids usually from their parents and coaches is, would you actually want to go there if you weren't going to play football? Because I mean, you could right. get hurt, you could whatever. So I think it's good advice for kids too, because this field is difficult and you want to actually enjoy college if you're, um, if it ends up not working out for you. Um, right. Along with the internships, interned for ABC News, like you mentioned, but you also interned for two teams, the Sparks and Clippers. Um, I internship with, I had internships with, you know, journalism organizations and team organizations. How do you, do you think that it helped you to see 
which side you wanted to go into or how they both work. Cause I know that writing like press press releases for the Ivy league, like in the morning and then doing interviews for the Philadelphia Inquirer like an in afternoon, it was good for me to kind of see what both sides are looking for to decide what I wanted to do and kind of make my journals. I felt like made my journalism process better by knowing what an organization is trying to keep from you or put out for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly learned like the inside business of it, you know, what is PR versus what is writing. I mean, I think that's a great experience for people to get. Sometimes people want to be writers and then they do one of those internships. They're like, no, actually, I like doing PR better. I like handling media. For me, I, I never wanted to go into PR um, so the experience for me was more about like just being in an NBA environment, a WNBA environment. Like I was allowed to write features. So that was great. I was doing more of like editorial stuff than um, PR stuff. But I think, you know, when you're that was the year that Chris Paul came to the Clippers. And so I was in this, you know, scrum with all these like famous reporters. And I think, you know, there's a real fear when you get in there for the first time. It's terribly intimidating you have no idea what you're doing everyone else seems to be a pro literally they all know where to stand they're all friends and here you are this like young college kid you look young everyone's looking at you like they're you're she's definitely an intern and you know it's just a good experience to just get comfortable with being in that environment like literally even if you don't even say a question just being in the room listening, observing, like that's where you learn. And I think a lot of times with internships, there's this pressure to perform and, oh, I gotta have five articles by the end of this internship. And those are realistic goals. Those are important things. You wanna build up your portfolio, but really the most important goal of any internship is to listen and learn. And if you just sit in that room and be as active as possible and, and engaging mentally, like you're gonna, you're gonna come away with so much. Yeah, I do. Um... I think that that like at my school, I got to cover Phillies, Philadelphia Phillies games, Flyers games. So it was cool to just be in there, be around that and kind of so that when I came back to college and it's a press conference and it's me and one like local media person, it at least takes a little bit of that pressure off because they're like, oh, I've interviewed a guy, you know, a professional athlete before, or at least been in that environment. And it's not as scary when you're when you're in college. All right. So from. The internships and the local paper, the obituaries and stuff. How do you land your uh, your first gig at the OC Register? Well, I had um, started freelancing a bit in college first for like Slam Magazine, um, Dime Magazine, and I would just send them pitches. So that kind of got me started to where I had some clips. Um, same with like covering my school's basketball team. And then I, I basically reached out to literally over 50 places in America. <laughs> anyone with the written word I wanted to talk to you <laughs> and uh and it's funny because I either got like no or no response except from like one which was the OC register but I think I got that because I always say this I aggressively stalk them professionally stalk them um which means that I was persistent but not annoying but it's very borderline there's you gotta be good with it or else it can go the wrong way but I thought you know wow how cool would it be to stay in Southern California and start my journey there and so I would just send them my articles every two weeks hey just checking in I just wrote this I would love to have coffee with an editor or you know please let me know if there's anything I can send and that's how that started so I ended up getting a uh, interview which was a writing test which was like a four-hour thing and I had to write two features in that time frame 
and which was really, really scary. And uh, then I got hired. So yeah, it was a lot of persistence. I mean, I felt like, you know, why is nobody answering me? Am I ever going to get hired? You know, it's, it's really, really hard. But I started those reach outs right at the beginning of my senior year. Like a lot of people wait till the next semester, but I did it the first semester. Yeah, I know. That was a, I had a similar process because I had my finished my senior year inter interning with the Philadelphia Inquirer and yeah. everything I got from my editors was like great job and they would send me to do random things and say thanks and so I was like I convinced myself that I was gonna like land some kind of something with them and then right. I went and had a meeting with them and they were like here's like 40 things that you need to do. And you know, this was bad and this was bad. And I'm like, why didn't you guys tell me any of this? I'm graduating like a month and a half and I haven't applied anywhere. So, um, but I got That's lucky so found and then got stuff back from, and the place I'm now is two hours from where I grew up. So, um, okay. which is awesome. So my family's around, but I, yeah, it was a very, I sent out about like 20 uh, applications in the next like day and a half and like nervously waiting for places in Kansas and all over the place to get me back. So, right? um, oh my gosh. I, I was convinced talk. I was going to move to Ohio or just saying, I was yeah. like, oh, it's going to be Mississippi, Ohio. I mean, yeah. Yeah. When I told, when I told my girlfriend the, the places that I, uh, it, the, that I applied to, she was very nervous about where, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where we potentially would be moving and very happy that the place was uh was two hours away so um i'm gonna go back to a couple of things you said in there so the uh test um the test that they gave you i got a similar i had my interview here i drove up i interviewed with the editor and the sports editor and then they sent me to a baseball game um, that afternoon and I had an hour after the game to write a game story um, and I wrote it in McDonald's and I that like every time I go back to the school I um I like smile looking at the baseball field because I've been Amazing. there like 10 times and I drive by the McDonald's and I love it because I'm like this is where my whole sports career like starts but um writing two features in four hours how did that work and um how like what was what was the process of doing that well, it was so scary because I didn't really know that that was going to happen. They were just like, oh, be prepared. You might do a writing test. So I'm thinking like grammar, like I'm studying the style guide. I'm like, wait, what do you do with a semicolon? You know, I was thinking of like that type of thing. And then my would be editor was like, so you're going to interview me. I'm going to pretend to be a football player that held himself back and you're going to write a feature on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, imagine the pressure of like interviewing this guy. And it was so funny because he was trying to like knock me off of my game. Like he was being very rude and aggressive in the interview. So he was like, well, why do you think it's bad that I held myself back? Even though I didn't even say it was bad. Um, and so he was, be he was trying to test like how I would handle like a rude athlete or something. And so it was this like boisterous interview and I was like, oh, I'm not getting this job. This is awful. And uh, I ended up writing, uh, so I did the interview and I wrote the feature. And then the second one, I had to take a press release about, I think it was some track thing and like rewrite it into a feature, but yeah, I was so stressed. I was in this like glass room at the registrar's um, office in Santa Ana. And I was like, I told myself like, if we don't get this job, it's fine. We gave it our all, you know, we'll back to the drawing board. <laughs> and I ended up getting it. So <laughs> what, um, what, what, um, so at that point, when you heard back from them, you were how far in the process of applying to 50 places were you? Was that like, 
were you at like 50 or was, was there a lot of like even more pressure because this was the only place and you were scared that you weren't going to get another call back? Yeah, well, I had already done the 50, but I started reaching out to like Slam and all the places that I had done stuff for. And I was like, do you have anything? Do you have anything? And like, of course, like none of them were paid. So I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, we talk about how hard it is now, but you know, 2013, when I graduated, like things were rough in the industry. It was not a great year either. Um, so, and, and plus like I graduated from high school in uh, 2009. So that was like, the, a year after the recession. So I was already nervous, you know, about this in general, but I think, yeah, at that point I, I was like, Oh God, I don't know if I'm going to get this, but I really gave it my all, you know, like sometimes you walk into an interview and you just don't know what people are going to find. Maybe they like your personality. Maybe they see tenacity in you, you know, and they think they can polish you or maybe like you're not right for this, but they know somebody that you're better for. And, you know, I, so I think that like the reason I say that is because I'm learning that like there's always stuff to be gained from taking the call. Like I take every call. I don't care if I don't have no interest in the job. Like I always take every call. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think like I had got the offer to go here and someone in California called, they sent me an email finally back and they're like, Hey, we, we liked your resume. Like, do you want to call him? Like, I might as well. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll like this guy or whatever. I mean, it's like, it's, right. it can't hurt. So I never know he could end up. I think people say that a lot. You never know um, oh in God. this industry where people end up. So you always want to make sure that every relationship you have with somebody um, you leave on good terms just to be a nice person and also for your potential career. That is the the most crucial part of all of this. Like the editor in chief at Slam Magazine when I was freelancing as a 19 year old is now the editor in chief at Bleacher Report. <laughs> and he hired me, you know, what, like six, seven years later. So you just never know. And, you know, Jonathan Abrams, my coworker, he um, he's been one of my favorite writers since forever. And when he was at Grantland, I just reached out to him. I, I think I was like a sophomore in college and I was like, you're my favorite writer. You know, can I please pick your brain? And he took me to lunch and now we're colleagues. I mean, it's just so bizarre. <laughs> like you, you will, all, you will see all these people again. You really will. <laughs> um, so when you, uh, got started at the, at the register, um, now you, you were doing features that whole that whole time there primarily, right? That's what you wanted to yeah. do. So now I've heard you talk about your process of interviewing, you know, 20 people for a feature story. Is that something you always were always a practice of doing or, or when did you kind of adopt the super in-depth interview process and ability to kind of write around people that you that you have now? Well, yeah, I, it was definitely during that time where I became aware of that, but I wasn't necessarily doing that for the register because like my stores were so much shorter than like a thousand would be like the maximum, maybe 1200. And so I could only interview like five people, maybe like six or seven. But then I met my mentor, Jeff Perlman, um, you know, who's just so awesome. And he had just moved to OC right when I took the job. And so I, I just like DM him and I was like, again, you're one of my favorite writers. Like, can we please meet up? And we meet at the Starbucks and I'm like taking notes and he's like grilling me because I'm taking notes. He thinks it's like so tacky. And I'm like, but you're Jeff Perlman. Like, let me take notes. And, um, and I was so nervous. I was like, what is he saying? You know? And, uh, <laughs> Jeff is like family now. So it's hilarious. It's hilarious now. Um, but Anyway, one of the major things he said was you have to bust, you have to like bust your ass and outwork everyone. Like you 
have to be the hardest working person in the newsroom. So don't tell me you can only interview five people. You have to interview seven or eight. And, you know, as I was able to get more um, space to write longer stories as my career went on, like that's when I realized like, oh, I need to be interviewing 15 to 20. So I credit him with that. You know, all of that came from him. I didn't know any of that. I had no idea how to interview somebody or you know, why I would need to get certain details or why it was so important to get so in depth with each person. And and he taught me that. So, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Twitter, but I will say like, if there's a person you admire the way that I did Jeff and, and Jonathan Abrams, like literally reach out to them. Like a lot of people really want to help. Some people will say no. Like I had a lot of people say no, but I had a lot of people say yes as well. And so I think that what stops students from reaching out is this fear, like this fear that this like famous writer will think that I'm dumb and, and I'm not good enough. And why is she reaching out? And so, you know, don't be that person that's, you know, doesn't email because you just never know where it can lead. I had no idea that Jeff would become like literally my mentor, like family. Who would know? It was just a a risky, you know, hey, help. I'm a young, young person struggling at the register writing about Little League Baseball. Do you have any, do you have a second? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, Jeff, um, Jeff was actually really nice. I, this summer when I got this job, I basically started at the end of the sports season. So a lot of my time is building the pages and like creating the layout of the sports section in in the office. Yeah. So I was listening to a lot of his podcasts and I sent him a message just said like, Hey, love it. And like, I'm, you know, two months into my writing career and like really like enjoying listening to you talk to like a lot of writers and he wrote me like a nice message back. So all of my stuff I get for the podcast is me just reaching out to people and sure. people being nice like yourself and nice enough to give, uh, you know, give some of their time to talk to kids. So just want to, Usually everybody, obviously everybody that comes on this podcast is willing to help kids out. So um, that's just a message to try to get all to, out to kids. Just ask people and ask for as much help as you can, because usually people actually are nicer than than you would imagine, even though they Probably. have a check mark and a couple of thousand um, people on their Twitter account. Um, and right, you so realize you, they're, they're just as insecure and neurotic as all of us. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Don't want to cut you off. Um, so. You were at the register for a few years before, yeah. like you talked about, um, and different stuff, you know, ending up them having layoffs and the different stuff in the industry. Um, do you think that, have you talked about the importance of making mistakes and different stuff like that early on with high school? Um, do you, I know that you tried to get to BR and ESPNW for, for more full-time gigs while you were there, do you think it was actually good for you to not get those to have more time to prepare? Because I know that when I was here, I had felt this pressure to want to try and move on from this, you know, high school reporting job to somewhere, you know, bigger. I say that in air quotes if you're listening on the podcast. Um, fast, you know, to not seem like I was just a high school sports reporter. And as I've been here, I'm like, I've only been doing this for a couple of years. I need years of doing this before I'm even ready to even reach out to places like that. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, there's no way if Bleacher knocked on my door right out of college that I would be ready. <laughs> Same with <laughs> ESPN, you know. Um, you know, my dad used to call me big eyes because I, I would see like ice cream and I'd be like, can I get two scoops? Even though I like wasn't that hungry. And I would just want it all. And and I think I was very big eyes in my career. I wanted it all and I wasn't ready. I, I just wasn't. I wasn't at that level. And and so like you, what you were just saying really resonated with me. 
is that I was so obsessed with advancing. I was like, I only want to be at the register for two years and then I got to get to ESPN. I got to get to SI. I got to get to Bleacher. Not because of anything disrespectful to OC. It's just like, I just, I'm a big dreamer, big eyes, and I wanted it all. And when it wasn't happening for me, it was really hard. It was discouraging. It just, I saw other people moving up and I felt really bad about myself because I felt like my career was so much slower and I was just like well I'm good enough to freelance for them but I'm not good enough to get the job like you know why am I not good enough and it just I I had like a really hard like good enough phase during that time but I think that to your question I needed to go through that I needed to use that time to get better I was reporting and hustling and writing every day. I would write three features a week, like long features for the register. Like I was, I was driving from LA to OC, which is about an hour and a half each way, you know, multiple times a week. Like I was grinding. Like I, my weekends were spent pitching to the larger outlets and then I would get rejections and then I would come up with new pitches. Like I wasn't partying I wasn't dating like I wasn't I was a basketball coach in my spare time at a high school to make more money because I made so little at the register and so I say all this to say is like I really needed that time to grind I needed that time to know that I wanted this that I was passionate about this that I wasn't going to give up on this and if I would have just had it handed to me like I don't think I'd be as hungry and I don't think I would have been as ready because when the opportunity did come, I was ready. And that's because I literally spent four years getting ready. Yeah, I think now, I think, you know, as kids, I don't know, I think a lot of the advice that I got when I was in college and that I hear people give, yourself included, is to read a lot of people's work um, and read, you know, I I don't think a, a lot of kids are necessarily reading a lot of like feature writing either because stuff like the athletic is behind a paywall and they're college kids and they don't spend their money on journalism and you know even us now i mean you have five you have a five article limit for my paper uh per month before you before you have to get it and um you know so i think that um not reading and and not being you know being into that kind of stuff makes people not aware when they see you like getting awards and getting every time you tweet out an article i always see that it it, i see it from it being liked by seven to nine people that i follow before it actually comes up just in my feed organically from you tweeting it and um so i think people see that and they're like wow she's just so good at writing like i wish i could kind of be like that and i think it's good for because a lot of people don't, I don't think they have to see that in the people that they admire, the the fact that, you know, there was a lot of time where you had to kind of decide if how much this meant to you and, and put in a lot of, to sacrifice a lot of your time so that now you can have this success that people see that uh, seems like it just kind of was easy for you, but it actually was the complete opposite. Man, like, I can't even tell you how much that resonates because... People see me now and they're just like, wow, like you have the dream job. It's wow. You're so lucky. And I hear that word all the time. Like lucky. You're so lucky. Oh yeah. My dream job. You're so lucky. And I am lucky. I am fortunate. I, every day I'm literally, I'm just like, oh my God, thank you. I'm so grateful, you know, but it was not easy. I didn't just like start writing yesterday and it kind of bothers me when people say I'm so lucky because it's like, 
again, like they weren't there when nobody was tweeting my articles. And you know, when they first installed the, the retweet yourself button and I'll be like, oh, what's the best hour of the day where I can retweet myself? Somebody look at my article, please, you know? And I would just send it to, send it to my idols. Like, just want to show you my newest thing. And, and, you know, I had red receipts on and you would see that they just said like red and no response back. And, just feeling so deflated, like I'm never going to get there. And then, you know, I lost my job and I was just like, man, I'm never going to make it. And so it's like, it's, it's, it's amazing that people support my work and it's amazing that, you know, people are so kind to me, especially in such a internet space where kindness is so rare, but like, they just have no idea what I went through to get here. Like just no idea how much I sacrificed and how hard I had to work and how much I didn't do. Like I said, like I wasn't dating, like I wasn't, I just, I was so determined and I was like, what, I'm going to do anything to make it. And so I just, I don't know. I wish people just because they just found my work yesterday doesn't mean I just like began yesterday, you know? Yeah, no, I think, um, I do. I see that when I run into people from high school or college that I transferred college from, they're like, man, I, you know, I see all your stuff. I love it. Like, it's so lucky that you get to like cover sports. And I'm like, I think I like the word fortunate more. Yeah. I think, um, but it's like you said, it, it isn't, it didn't just magically happen. I had to, you know, leave school and deal with all the transferring and all that kind of stuff and figure out my life and ponder all that and give up going out and be 25 years old and still be in college because, right. you know, went, taking classes with intro to news writing at 23 years old and everybody's 18 and, you know, dealing with like the fact that I'm closer to the professor's age, like right. almost than, you know, it's, it was, it certainly is uh there are a lot of stuff and you obviously, went through it longer than I did. And, and I haven't, hopefully, um, don't have to deal with getting fired. And, um, you know, so I, I do, um, I really appreciate what people um, are able to, you know, share the, the downsides, because I think it's really important for kids to one, know that, just like with athletes, and why I, I like telling these stories, um, like I talked about earlier, I, I find that those stories are really appealing to me, because it touches on something that I've like a personal experience with reinventing, changing myself and different kind of stuff. And that's why I like to tell those stories, I think. And, um, it humanizes the athletes to the, to people that watch them. And it's not just this person who can dunk and do all these things you can ever see. It's somebody who had a sister who battled some disease and they started something and they did, you know, whatever it, it becomes like something that you can relate to. And I think it's really good. Same thing for people in sports media. Uh, on the same level as athletes, but it, you just look at people where you want to be and it can seem like there's no way to get from where you are to there. And hopefully this podcast can help some kids understand that, you know, there are people, there are real people that do these jobs that you think are crazy and you could never do. So, um, all right. So we went through all the positive stuff about the internet before we get into, um, the big scribble, I wanted to touch on something um, I mentioned I'm from Philadelphia, like suburbs of Philadelphia. I don't want anyone to think, oh, there's a big, you say you're from the city that you're actually not from that city. I'm from the suburbs, but um, Philadelphia sports fans, usually the feedback to your work is always, for the most part, very positive. Um, Philadelphia, 
really big um, backlash to some of the stuff from the Markel Fultz story um, that you said the entire city of Philadelphia hated him. Um, I know that a lot of people that I saw were upset about that column written in the Enquirer. Um, when you, I know on podcasts you've had to deal with like John Calipari or Roy Williams saying little things, but you weren't necessarily like worried about that. When you get something when like someone takes offense with actual like the words that you say, like something like that, like the entire city, how do you deal with the kind of that at all? Or do you not care? Yeah, I mean, um, it's not fun, but I think like, I, you know, I view it this like, so my uncle always said like, you know, the only opinion that matters is your own and whether people praise your work or they criticize your work, like you, you can't get high on the criticism. I mean, on the praise and you can't get low on the criticism. Like, you know, you create your work for you and to honor the stories and tell them right. And so it's like, I don't know. I just looked at it the same way as like, it's when people say, Oh, you know, I loved your story. It's so great. Like, sure. It feels good, but it doesn't get in my head in that way. And therefore when it goes the opposite, it doesn't get in my head either. Um, you know, I think in that particular case, like I was literally focalizing what he and all the 20 people I talked to around him told me about how they felt about it. So I think people missed that. Like it wasn't my opinion as the writer, it was like literally focalized in his voice, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, if, if people, if that doesn't happen to you, you're not writing anything that, I don't know, like that's going to happen to you is what I'm saying. Like it's whether you are in the right or in the wrong, it's just, it's always going to be there. And so I think when you accept that and you know that you can really just, I don't know, you, you don't give it the weight that you would give the positive stuff. It's, it's just, it's all part of it. And if you want to be a writer and you want to have your work showcased to thousands of people and have it be public, like it's going to happen. Is that something that you developed like while at BR? Because I know you said like longing for someone to retweet stuff. <laughs> I know that now I've gone, I've gone from when I first started writing for random football websites and nobody cared and they shouldn't have because my opinion of, you know, the Raiders wide receiver position was I don't know anything about the Raiders, but I've gone to now where, you know, I have whatever, a couple, like I have people that follow me for like high school sports in New York, Pennsylvania. And then, um, you know, our Facebook, I have now worked for an organization where we actually have like people who follow our Facebook. And if I go to look at it and there's like two comments and one of them is like, a, like an annoying thing about something I wrote, like at this point it still annoys me because there's only two. I think, I don't know if maybe you get to the point where it's like, okay, for Bleacher Report, so many people read it just on percentages. Somebody's going to be a jerk. Um, is it something that you've learned like with time or, or how did you kind of develop the ability to just not really necessarily care about the the um, feedback to high or low, depending on what it is? Yeah, I mean, I think I was kind of forced into that being at BR, like, you know, at the register, like nobody was reading my stuff, <laughs> like nobody. And uh, so initially it, it was weird at first to you know, whoa, look how many people are reading this. Like, I, I think there's, it's, it's a little scary, you know, it's vulnerable. It's, it's weird, but then you just get to a point where you're like, I'm not writing for other people. Like I'm literally not like, I don't, the, the reader that I have in mind is actually my dad. So I'm kind of like writing as if he were reading it, you know, like I don't, 
of course, like I, I want respect. I want people to like love what I do. That's of, of course I want that, but I just, you learn to deal with it by having these moments, good and bad of just like, all right, this is what it's like to be on this platform. And it also just, it, it, not that I wouldn't give my full effort to it if I wasn't on as big a platform. Cause I did give my full effort when I was at the register to everything, but yeah, like when that many people are reading your stuff, like it does put pressure on you to like, okay, this has to be really good. Like I have to, I have to perform at a really high level. It, it is kind of like athletes in a way, like when you get to the NBA, it's like a new level from college and you're learning to adjust. And I think like when I first got to Bleacher, it was, I felt that way. It was a new level. You know, I was used to writing a thousand word features. Now I'm writing 4,000, you know, couple hundred people were reading now there's like millions I think it was an adjustment it was it was a lot of like okay well you know how are we going to deal with this increased attention like what it you know it's weird people that really wouldn't answer my calls when I was in college are now like oh hey like let's be friends and it's it's kind of funny you know it's like okay but I'm the same person I was like five years ago when you didn't want to talk to me so you know I think it just comes with a lot of that yeah, no, I think um, I talked about on this when I started the podcast, a lot of it was kind of me talking before build up to, you know, trying to have something that people would agree to come on. I wanted to at least have like some episodes of whatever of me talking about different topics. And one of them was that because I think that people get into can fall into um, getting into that kind of hot take type stuff and want to get into that because they want that attention that we all um can fall into with social media, you know, wanting when you put a lot of your time into something and then nobody, nobody mm-hmm. like says anything about it besides like your parents or, you know, your friends <laughs> act like they actually read it and they, they didn't yeah. actually read it. Um, it, if you can fall into the, like, well, if I just do this, people will, you know, retweet it and it might be, they might say you're an idiot, but at least it's better than nothing. So, um, I like to, try and give the feedback for to kids like i don't know it's it's tough to just say like don't worry about nobody caring about what you're doing for an undetermined amount of time but i do think it's important to just make sure that you like it and the people who publish your work like it and then you know not really necessarily worry about i mean it's i think it's good to get feedback from people but maybe not necessarily the comment section uh, most of the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you're reading your comments, like you're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into the big scribble. Um, I'm going to be putting this out before the podcast, um, before the contest closes. I'll be putting the podcast out, which is tomorrow. I think the applications close for Saturday. Um, so what the podcast is for all high school and college kids. Hopefully that's all of you listening. Um, and so I want you to send in stuff i'll put a link to the inside the uh episode description but basically um you're going to be having people submit writing assignments you guys are going to send out topics and have them write it um part of what they have to do is send in videos and um writing samples i thought the interesting thing was that you have their four favorite words and their one least favorite word in part of that video i wanted to know what your four favorite words and your least favorite word is, if you know what they are, <laughs> or if you have great. any. God, um, oh man, I gotta think about this. 
my my least favorite word is nebulous I think it's just the weirdest word ever and it's like what does nebulous really mean and why do we like every time somebody uses it I'm just like really you really use nebulous um favorite words Uh, um I like moxie um I don't know why I always it's just like very me very like spunky um what other words do I like Oh no, this is hard. Students do better, do better than me. Do better than me. Be better than me. Well, they this they get this. Yeah, they're not on the spot. I, I just put you on the spot, which is not a, which is not ideal. But when I came across it, I'm like, I don't know what my four, my four. Really, favorite, what are they? But it's interesting to. I know which one I don't figure. like. Yeah. All right. Um. So yeah, obviously, um, this is part of you mentioned Jeff uh, Perlman earlier. Um, kind of his thing. Obviously, you talked about your relationship mentor, you know, mentee, and now, uh, like family, you said, um, what, uh, what about the contest? Obviously you have a passion for helping kids, uh, you know, aspiring writers. What about the, the contest had you excited and made you want to be part of it? I mean, Jeff, Jeff Roman and, um, Jonathan, I, when they started it, I was just like, whoa, this is incredible because we are in the middle of like such a horrible time period. Everything just feels so negative and down. And I can't even imagine what it feels like to be a college senior right now, sports writer or not. And, you know, just seeing so many students reach out, oh man, my internship got canceled. Oh man, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so scared. You know, can you connect me anywhere? And it just, it's this mass panic of young people. And um, when Jeff and Jonathan started this and asked me to be a judge, I was just like, wow, that's so wonderful. It's like, you Usually, you know, writing contests um, have not only a entry fee, but they don't really yield anything. You just get a trophy. This, I thought, well, students could really use this. I mean, you get um, a resume session with the LA Times sports editor, Chris Stone, formerly of SI. You get one-on-ones with the judges. Um, you get an indie gift card for books, $200, um, makes a difference in college. And, you know, you just, you have the chance to like actually receive hands-on mentorship, which is what it's about. And I really feel like the number one thing missing for young people right now is mentorship editors a lot of times the editor like the editor to writer ratio is so large I mean it's it's got to be like one editor per like 10 kids nowadays and they don't get to have that super one-on-one close relationship and so when I saw that the prizes allowed you know real relationships to start and mentorship to happen I was like yeah that's exactly what's needed like they need to make these connections and build on them so it was so cool because I love Candace Buckner of the Washington Post she's so great and um, she's one of the judges too so I was like oh if Candace is in like I want to do this too so um, yeah it's just in a, it's an amazing opportunity and, and this goes back to what we're talking about earlier about like confidence and taking risks and you know don't be that kid that's like oh I'm not gonna get it I shouldn't do this oh like I'm sure I won't get it other kids are more talented than me like you should get in the practice of always applying literally just put yourself out there like the more you do it the less scary it'll be yeah I know that in the um in the details of of applying for the contest it says it doesn't matter um you know obviously you're gender sex or whatever but you're the size of the school that you go to is not um does not really matter and and this and like we were talking about earlier i mean this is a pretty fair assessment you guys are going to read the stories and the best ones are going to win so i i did think like we were talking about earlier for the kids going to smaller schools that probably feel like oh i don't have syracuse in my 
email address that when I send to these editors to try and get feedback from them and stuff, this is a, a straight, great opportunity for you to just get in front of a lot of really talented people and have an opportunity to end up with an amazing literal resume from the resume session with the LA Times, oh. but also just to be able to put this on your resume would be um, a good thing to be able to just show like I actually can write and I actually, you know, was willing to reach out and try and talk to these people. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what, they, they will know your name and, and half of this is like, Oh, I remember that name. I saw that name. Oh, I think they applied to this. Oh yeah. Let me ask so-and-so so-and-so knows them. It's like sports uh, degrees of separation are like one or something. So chances are you entering this, they're going to know your name. And then if you happen to be up for something and down the line, they'll remember that. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, I, that person, maybe they didn't get the big scribble thing, but I remember them and I liked reading their thing and wow, they've really improved in four years. You know, like that's, that's how it goes. Like I didn't get the association of women in sports media internship, uh, the two years that I applied. So I was literally did not get it both years, but you know, years later, I became part of the AWSM like champions class. And so it's like, they saw my name for years, and I didn't get it. But then I did eventually get it. And so I do think applying for those early things might have helped a little bit. Yeah, and I think it said that um, if you're willing to, they want to share your work as well through the Twitter or however you're going to do it. So um, even if you don't end up winning or become, you know, a finalist, you may just get seen by somebody who's looking for whatever. So definitely do that. All right. So you've obviously given a ton of good advice throughout this, um, but I wanted to close with a couple of specific advice questions. Um, you talked about learning how to do interviews better and more thoroughly through talking with Jeff and stuff as you've grown, but is there one thing um, that you've changed or learned about feature writing that is like the top top thing you would suggest people start right away that you weren't doing when you were either in college or in your first gig out of out of college? I think there's two things that come to mind. Um, you have to be relentless in getting details. Like you need to get every single thing. It doesn't matter how irrelevant it is. Like always ask for the follow-up detail. You know, it's not just a couch, it's a red couch or like the flower is not pink. It's pink with some, you know, whatever and tulips inside. And um, that just makes it brighter and more vibrant. Um, I think the second thing is, and I didn't struggle with this, um, but I, I do think some people do. So it's good advice is that um, the story is not about you. And I think the more reporters can understand that like using I in a story has a function and I've done it like twice, you know, I really don't do it very often, but it was a very specific function because I was overseas and I was a character in the thing. But most times like there's really no point in using it in my opinion. Some people do it really, really well um, that it doesn't draw attention to themselves. But I think young writers trying are trying so hard to show that you know, they got access or I'm in the elevator with famous person and it, it just really looks tacky and it's, it detracts from the actual story. And it's like, it's not about you. It's not about looking cool. It's not about looking funny. It's not about hanging out with the player, being friends with them. It's like, move aside, like they're the star and you want to show them in their, you know, most genuine state. Um. I saw you post something, I think it was yesterday on Twitter that you were struggling with, with, uh, with the lead. Um, and, Evergreen. Um, yeah, it could have been yesterday. It could have been some other time. Tomorrow. Um, yeah. 
when and I listened to uh, your podcast with uh, Ethan Strauss, and you were talking about leads and when you write them and writing your stories. I think I've heard, I've seen different people, but I think a lot of people have been sharing their process and being home and just being bored and stuff on Twitter. I've seen a lot of people writing about, tweeting about how they write. Um, how, when you're looking to come up with the lead, you say you write the middle usually, and then and then go back to your to your lead at the end. How did you always do that? How did you end up developing that as your kind of process? And what have you have you learned from anybody who does it differently? Anything that you want to change, or you kind of firm and the lead comes last. Um. I think I was always like that, but it's more so like definite for me lately, more in the last couple of years. I think when I was first starting out, I didn't really even know what my routine was. Like I wouldn't be able to answer that question because I just didn't have one. Cause when you're young, <laughs> you're sort of like throwing all the stuff on the page and seeing what sticks. And, and that's what I was doing. So I don't, I don't even think I knew what I was doing. I think I was just like trying everything. So I'm sure sometimes I started with the lead. Sometimes I started in the middle, but I think I started doing in the middle, um, uh, last year because I think as time has gone on, um, people are becoming less hesitant to read. And so it just brought on more anxiety about like, well, the lead has to be so amazing and there's so much pressure. And uh, what if it's not good? They'll give up on the article. So I was like, I don't even want to deal with the lead until like later. And so I think that made me just like stop focusing on it at first. And so I would just start in the middle because I realized that like, the gut of the story to me is the most important part and that would be the middle. And so I just thought like, if I, if I put my attention there and I know what the story is really about, I'm going to find the lead. I'm going to find the kicker, but I can't really do those things unless I know what the story is really about, unless I start in the middle. Um, I, I think every writer is different and who's to say that, you know, I won't develop some new strategy like in five years where now I'm comfortable starting in the lead. You know, I'm not sure. I think it's like, these things change. And as you change as a person, you're going to change as a writer. And uh, I think the most important thing is just like being open because sometimes you'll work with editors and they're like, no, I need to see this before the draft. I need you to put together this type before the draft. And so you're going to have to like bend and, you know, realize that like your process is not the only process that matters. There's the people you work with. And, and it's like, if you can be adaptable and coachable, not only are you going to find your own process and have a lot of opportunities, but you're going to like learn from other people and they might influence what you do yeah i know um i think it's interesting to look at stuff because i think i'm still in that phase we were talking about where you're kind of just still figuring out how exactly you want to how you write and how like what works for you and a lot of times i'll just go through and as i'm like transcribing my stuff i think of what I want to start the story with and I can some luckily sometimes I'll come up with a lead that I that I like or sometimes I'll just write something because looking at an empty document it's like I want to get something to start the story so I think um I I want to try them that kind of middle out type thing but i at the same time and where I'm, I'm right now it's like we're trying to write like a story a day so it's kind of hard to not uh to have the the full out kind of like plan. Right. I want to start it here and then I'll work my way back to that. Right. So trying to get on top of now that we're in this weird limbo, trying to like push, like start things like two weeks out to like have stuff at a time. But um, 
I do think it's interesting and I think it's good for people to kind of practice and, and look at things differently. And especially if you're in college or in high school and you're just right different, try it. If you don't actually have anybody who's like, you know, you're worried about like bothering your editors by not having stuff on time, just do it for fun and practice. Okay. Um, you mentioned the biggest thing about feature writing, but, um, one thing, uh, if you or two, if you have it like before, uh, that you wish you knew uh, earlier in your career that you know now about either just writing in general or sports media or something, something that you wish you knew then? Um, <laughs> All editors talk. It's like a secret society. They're like, <laughs> they, you know, if you have a bad day and it comes across as attitude when you're really just frustrated at yourself, it's, they're going to be like, oh, like she's not coachable. And so it's like, not that I had those moments where I was like bad or something, but I really do wish that I had more of an awareness of like, yeah, everyone knows each other. Everyone talks. Um, I still, you know, obviously held myself the way I needed to, but yeah, like I had no idea it was so connected. Um, I think the other thing, that I would, uh, I wish I knew was that, um, you are competing with yourself. Um, a lot of times, like I read other people and I get very competitive and I, I want to be a great writer and I get really lost in the compare game. But I, what I know now is that I'm competing with myself. Um, not because I, I don't feel I'm competing with other people because I do, because there's like so many writers that are better than me and more talented than me. And, and I think I just came to the realization that like, they're always going to be better than me. Like, that's just life. Like <laughs> I'm not going to be better than Wright Thompson. Like that's just life, you know? And, and once I stopped doing that, I started to experience real joy. Like the joy of like PRing is just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a happier person because I'm competing with myself and I'm not always measuring myself up to some like barometer of somebody else. Yeah, no, I think, um, we talked about earlier with worrying about people not appreciating your work and, and stuff like that. It's, uh, important to just not lose focus of why you want to do it in the first place. If you're not in it to, get to be around famous athletes and stuff and you're in it because you have a joy to you know tell interesting stories and learn about people then that's all that matters all right um thank you so much Marion, for uh spending an hour uh educating hopefully future feature writers and uh, um really appreciate you guys and hopefully all of you enter into the big scribble if you haven't already so that you can earn an opportunity to have another one-on-one -on -one learning session with Miran where you can ask her the questions that I didn't ask her. Um, Miran, thank you. And um, it's honored to have you on here and um, can't wait to read your, your next story. And while we're talking, I'm sure Sabrina Ionescu got drafted, uh, who you just wrote about this week. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Miran. Thank you. See ya. Thanks. Bye. All right, guys. Hope you guys appreciated that episode with Mirren. Um, I had a great time having a talk with her. Um, like I said, she is somebody that I really look up to and um, I'm inspired by her work and getting to know her more 
and her story while preparing for this interview and actually interviewing her myself, um, I have gained an even more of a respect for her because of her willingness to share the you know vulnerable um, moments that were difficult for her and show that side of her that somebody may not see if they didn't know her, haven't been following her since her college days. Um, as always, guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you got anything from this, as always, please subscribe, rate and review, share the podcast on social media. You can follow me at Rob Burr Sports. I'll have Mirren's Twitter handle and her website in the description of this episode, as well as the link to the Big Scribble if you want to join that. Um, and as always, if you have guests that you want me to try and get on the podcast, also send them to me. You can DM me anywhere. And also just another shameless plug. I'm on TikTok now, posting highlights and different things um, from games that I've covered. I'm going to start getting some original content in there myself of me talking. Um, and sh- shoot me a follow. And uh, if you're on TikTok, if you're interested in learning more about me, sports media, just seeing some highlights from sports because you're missing sports, shoot me a follow on there. Robber Sports on everything. Until next time, guys, thanks as always for listening. See you.